Unfortunately, our lovely host Karen has lost her voice due to her vocal cord nodules. So I'm introducing the next guest. Anna Sherman is a registered psychotherapist from Toronto, Canada, who works with individuals, couples, and families. Anna talks to Karen about her childhood experience of being bullied and settling for unhealthy and controlling friendships. She also talks about how her low self-esteem trickled down to her adult relationships and that it allowed others to mistreat her. Anna has come a very long way. Not only has she learned what it takes to be an empowered woman, but she also guides women around the world in living authentic and intentional lives. She has recently published a book called The Empowered Woman's Journal that helps women focus on the elements in life that truly matter. How does one leave toxic relationships and find healthier and more meaningful ones? How does one move on from years of people-pleasing and develop a life that is fulfilling and meaningful for oneself? Find out by listening to episode 55 of Soul Sessions with KK. Hi, everybody. I am here with Anna Sherman, a registered psychotherapist in the Toronto, Canada area. She is also a maternal mental health practitioner and a clinical supervisor for qualifying psychotherapists. Anna actually just published her first book called The Empowered Woman's Journal, and she's here with me today to discuss her journey about how she became a psychotherapist and how she came to this point. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It is so good to see you again. It's really, really good to see you. So Anna and I know each other. We worked at Asia Torah in 2009, I believe, and Anna just... She had a smile on her face all the time, very friendly, very amicable, and we hit it off. We had a very good working environment, and I always remember Anna, and then she showed up on Instagram, and I'm like, oh my gosh, do you remember me? And she's like, yeah, of course. (laughs) So My my Persian friend, my Persian work friend, how could I not? (laughs) The only Persian girl who works at Isha Torah. So you really welcomed me in. I didn't feel like an outcast over there. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Yeah. Thank you. Anna, tell us how you became a psychotherapist. Okay, so I um, was always a very anxious kid. Anxiety sometimes is, it can be hereditary, it can run in families, it can also be brought up by certain events. I think in my case, it was probably both. It definitely runs in my family, um, on my father's side. And um, as a young girl, I was bullied pretty badly in school. Um, I was like one of the only Jews in the whole school. Um, We lived in a neighborhood that did not have very many Jewish families. And um, yeah, it was just, um, just like, yeah, probably not the best environment for me. Um, Were you bullied because you were Jewish or for any other um, reason? Mostly that, (laughs) I think I would say. Um, And also just a lot of things that come along with being Jewish, kind of like, Yes, I was Jewish. I didn't have Christmas. Um, I couldn't eat a lot of the foods that the other kids were eating. Um, we would go away at certain holidays. It's also just certain cultural differences. I just wasn't used to, um, yeah, just a lot of the, the things that the other kids seem to find to be the norm. Right. Um, and so that kind of set, uh, set the stage for me to be kind of an anxious person because I just got used to 
these, I, I develop these core beliefs that I'm, I'm the kind of person that gets bullied. I'm the kind of person that gets picked on. And my core belief sort of became, well, this is just what I have to put up with. This is just what I have. This is my life. This is what I have to put up with. Um, and it carried through, it carried through, um, into a lot of my adult life. We moved to a totally different neighborhood. I went to a Jewish high school. Yeah, I became religious at a very young age. How did you carry that with you? So I had a lot of very unhealthy friendships, I would say. Like I was very drawn to being friends with a certain kind of girl. Um, and I think those kind of girls were very drawn to being friends with me because these girls that I was friends with, they were very like, kind of controlling, um, dominant kind of personalities. Um, and to me, those kind of girls were very exciting and fun and they kind of like dragged me along um, into things, <laughs> um, whatever yeah. they were, whatever kind of projects they were doing. And for them, I think they saw me as somebody that they could control and that made them feel good that they had somebody that they could control. and. You know, there were elements of those friendships that were were really fun and great for me. There were also elements of those friendships that were really unhealthy because a lot of those girls, along with being controlling, they would also just kind of put me down and make me feel bad because that was another way to make them feel better if they were lacking in their own self-esteem. So, some of them were actually jealous of me and for whatever reason. And um, and so, you know, that they would, you know, sort of put down, like sort of controlling, bossy, critical. And again, the belief that I had in my head was, well, this is just what I got to put up with because like, I need to have friends. And if I want to have friends, you know, I just got to sort of put up with it. And did this, you ever feel like you needed to speak to your parents or anybody else to help I always you? spoke to my, my parents. I'm very close with my parents. Um, um, I always spoke to them. Um, but you know, parents don't always know what the answer is. Like as a young, as a young child, uh, they were very concerned about the bullying. Uh, my, my father's from Detroit. So yeah. <laughs> he always wanted to take like the back alley approach. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Let's meet those kids in the back alley and show them a little Detroit style. <laughs> right. And yeah. you know, I was like, you know, let's no, let's not do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But as an adult, they kind of, I think they kind of figured like, well, she's got to find her own way. And, and, and they didn't want to take my friends away from me. And they didn't want to sort of tell me like, well, you can't be friends with these people. So they sort of tried their best to point things out and, you know, show what was healthy and what was not and help set up healthier boundaries. But um, at the end of the day, a lot of these friendships, you know, push it, were not simply were not, not the healthiest Right. And how did you, how did you get to a point where you found healthy friendships? So I would say from the time I was um, around 20 to the, for, to the time I was about 26, that was kind of like a big roller coaster. Yeah. Huge tell us about huge, it. Huge, huge roller coaster for me. Um, uh, and then that was at the end of that roller coaster. That was exactly when you met me. Actually, when yeah. I was on, on my road to recovery, I was doing. That was such a good experience for me when you met me. When we were working together in Aish, and I was surrounded by good people and a wonderful job that I loved. That was a very healing experience. Wow. Um, 
So yes, so when I was 20, I, I never actually spoke about this publicly, but um, I would say it was a pretty big trauma. Um, so may as well share. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I had a, I had a best friend um, who we met when we were about 16, uh, 16, 17. We, we, we met actually on March of the Living. One of these very um, typical personalities that I just described, very exciting girl, very um, leader, leader kind of personality, and but also very critical, very controlling. But she she took me under her wing and we became best, best friends. And it was like instant connection. And we were friends for years. At some point in there, I started dating my my first boyfriend, um, first guy I ever was in love with. And then um, and then, you know, after two years, we we broke up. And then when I was when we were about 20, um, they got together and your best friend with your first love yes how did you how did you find out uh she told me one night she said we're together and um that's it and I was and and that wasn't the first time she had hurt me she had hurt me very badly uh at other times which I won't go into the details but pretty bad like to the point where the friendship had already sort of been dwindling but this was like the final straw and it sent me into a huge shock. And was this because you were still in love with your first love when you ended in, it? I wasn't in love with him anymore because I realized that, I mean, the relationship ended because um, there were things about his personality, which um his his behaviors which I, I really did not respect uh or and I also didn't trust and um I didn't feel I could marry someone who I didn't respect or trust yeah, uh, yeah. so but did I love him still yes absolutely I still loved him very much uh he was my first love and it was not, it hadn't been that long since we had broken up so it was it was very traumatizing and um, and they did it in such a way that they left me no space to process, to grieve. We were still very much in each other's lives. She and I, you know, I, I, I told her I don't want anything to do with her, but we still taught Hebrew school together. We still had a lot of mutual friends. We still lived in the same neighborhood. I still saw him all over the place and they were very, uh, they weren't nice about it. They were, you know, he, he yelled at me when I told him how the help setting this was and he yelled at me and, uh, she was very uh, in your face. Um, so that basically sent me on, I said, say like the next five years of roller coaster where I just um, was in some not very healthy relationships. They did, they did get married. Uh, I was in some not very healthy relationships, um, very unhealthy friendships at cul culminating in um, a very abusive marriage. Uh, to my previous husband and and that's when that period of time finally ended do you feel like it was you that needed to change or you needed to like stay away from certain people what was it that was enough is enough enough so that's of when I 
what yeah so enough yeah enough of allowing people to mistreat me Mm -hmm. and when people are like upset about being mistreated do we do we blame others for mistreating us or are we allowing people to mistreat us like what did you find in your your experience so yeah it's a very good question so in my experience I like I think it's important to I think it's always important to take responsibility for you know the positions that you're in unless you're a small helpless child and you're growing up in you know an abusive home where you you know, you're, you can't, you, know, you, you have no choice or you're going to be a ward of the state or, or there's no way to get out any, or you, you don't know any better. But as an adult, um, we, we do have choices and it's not easy to, to create healthy boundaries. You know, it can be very lonely when you create healthy boundaries and to say like, no, like I'd rather have fewer friends um, if that means eliminating toxic people and toxic relationships for my own mental health if that means having fewer friends like some people would say no I'd rather have more friends I don't I don't want to lose my friends it can be complicated a lot of times you'll have you know a friend who's healthy and a friend who's not healthy and like they're also friends so you're gonna hang out with your healthy friend but the unhealthy friend is around then you can't go over you know what, what does that mean like how do you how do you set those boundaries without shutting everybody out of your life um how do you do, do it without hurting other people? You know, when you don't want to hurt your friends, but you know your friends are toxic for you. Um, right. So I noticed you keep saying the word toxic. Define, mm-hmm. define what toxic means to you. So anyone who's listening to this right now, is everybody toxic? Like, what does toxic mean? I would say toxic. I, mean, I think the reason they call it toxic, it's, it's because it's kind of like the effect of like toxic chemicals, where it's like sometimes there are people in your life, like there's a difference between having a healthy friend who's going through a hard time and they might say something that they don't, that hurts you, but, but really it's because they didn't mean it or they're going through a hard time. And that's actually a healthy friend who you just need to have a word with or have a little heart to heart with. And then there are people who just, they, their kind of personality, the way that they approach life, what they're getting from you and what they're doing to you is just never healthy. It might seem fun some of the time, or you might, there might be elements about them that you like, but the relationship itself is just simply not healthy. Like you're not going to get anything healthy out of it. In the end, very little good will come out of it. And if yeah. you're being left more drained than fulfilled, it's probably a toxic relationship. Right. It doesn't right. mean that that person is toxic for everybody, but for you, it creates this dynamic of like toxic chemicals always be yeah. leaking into your life. Yeah. And you keep going back to it. Okay. So at, at a certain point, you decided enough is enough. I'm going to stop going on this route where I, I'm either attracting people who are toxic for me, whether it's friends or a significant other. So explain how that process went. Like what, what did you do to basically get rid of the toxins? So it was like a gradual process, but basically during that marriage, I would say it was a very extreme 
case. Uh, you could say in some ways it was a very classic domestic abuse situation. Mm -hmm. um, I would say it was quite extreme. Uh, the person I was married to was quite ill, uh, quite ill in very different ways, mentally, physically. Um, and it was one of those cases where, you know, when, when like, like, a, like a classic narcissist, like when we were dating, he was very charming, um, Mm -hmm. very uh you know whining and dining and impressing me and you know all these when I and I felt like oh finally you know I found somebody who values me and you know is going to care for me and who I can build a life with and then the minute I became his wife uh I was now a slave in every every element so that's when the abuse started and I I, I knew enough to know this is really bad like I like maybe I'm supposed to put up with a certain, you know, yeah. <laughs> like you know, enough like garbage in my life, but not not this. Definitely not this. If I'm like living in fight or flight mode day and night, I'm like sleeping with one eye open. This this has to stop. This has to stop. Uh, this is where I draw the line. And um, how did you leave that? So, so um. Yes, I won't go into the details of the abuse because it was, yeah, yeah. Too much. That's a that's yes. an entire story. There it was it was quite it was quite traumatizing. But um, I was told by many um, Rabam and um, friends of his, and you know, well-meaning people. You know, marriage is always hard in the beginning, and stick it out and. Um, you know, if Hashem brought you to this person, you should, you know, try your best to work through it. And there are many stories about, you know, great Sadiqim who are married to these shrews that, and they stuck with it because that's what Hashem wanted of them. And that just never sat with me. Like that just did not sit right with me. Like to have to live in fear. I did not think that that was my place in life that's very shocking that's very shocking yeah. that you receive that advice oh lots of it yeah lots of it um and I was you know I was told it's very hard to get remarried and you know you know you have the strike against you and you're a Baal's chuva and that's a problem and you know all, all the things that people could say um but yeah. but um uh, a good friend of, at the time, I mean, still, still a good friend. Um, she recommended this amazing therapist in New York. And uh, I went to him and he just like within like 10 minutes, he, he saw exactly what was going on. Um, and he said that um, from now on, after the session, he would only like to see me. Um, and the following sessions that I had with him were basically where he helped me to understand how 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 much I was um agreeing to tolerate and and how much how much potential I actually could have without this kind of abuse in my life. And um, I think that's when I really started to see clearly um, that I could, I could stand on my own and I could be empowered and, you know, and being, 
being divorced or being being married or being remarried or not being remarried that that's not that's not the goal in life the goal in life is is to be true to yourself and and to live a life of authenticity and to live intentionally and if you're living a life where you you can't even speak um and you can't have you can't even live um in peace without being afraid or living in fear um living in panic mode all the time, then how are you, how is that li- living? How is that living? Like, why does that make you a righteous person Yeah, to stay, to stay in a situation like that? Um, and so I, I left and I asked for a divorce and it was not easy. No, for sure. Um, it was not easy. Um, and then when that was over, um, it was, a that was, that was sort of the start of like up going up. Yeah. <laughs> very, very healing time a very healing time and it was like almost like uh very like overnight but gradually I just sort of started to develop this very quick intolerance for um anything toxic basically I have just when I was around somebody who was speaking lies or speaking about speaking about unhealthy things or saying unhealthy things I it was like I was allergic almost I was like oh I gotta get out of here I just we get this feeling like oh I I just have to get I have to go I just have to go (laughs) you were able to you were able to really notice when something was unhealthy whereas in the past you got lost in in that and you didn't think it was a big deal and maybe you got persuaded by the charm or the even from your friends by their like excitement as you said mm-hmm. or maybe their popularity or anything like that in the past I think I had feared being alone mm-hmm. and it was more important to me that I just put up with things and have friends um, than to be left alone uh, but by the time I got divorced, I was able to really articulate, I was able to really decipher in my life, uh, which people were unhealthy for me and which people were really, um, really good for me. Um, right. and the truth is like, I, I had, I had made some really quality friendships over the years and they're, they're still in my life. Those people are still in my life. Like really amazing quality people who, yeah. um, yeah, who I'm very, very grateful for. And those yeah. are the ones that, that lasted because, you know, those are the people that speak my language now. And, 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 and the funny thing is, I guess funny, not so funny, but most of those people, um, uh, most of those friends that like, and we're talking about years later that, you know, I still see, still talk to like, on a week, some of them on a weekly basis, some of them, some of them more, um, they've all gone through their own struggles, like all kinds of different struggles. Some of them grew up in abusive homes. Some of them are divorced. Some of them are remarried. Some of them are widowed. Some of them have lost children. Um, some of them have special needs children. Um, like, yeah, a whole (laughs) range of stuff, but they've all struggled and they're, and they're, and they're all, um, I'd say like warriors. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny because I just feel like so many people that I know would rather have 
many, many friends. And even though they're unhappy with their friendships, they don't care as long as they have a big group of friends. Mm -hmm. And they would prefer that over having maybe two or three good friends, but it's just two or three friends. So as you said, nobody wants to be alone. (laughs) Nobody likes that feeling of like not being at the party, not being invited to the table. And you bring up a good point that it's, it's a hard choice. It's a hard choice to choose healthy and quality over unhealthy and quantity. Because I, I feel as though that most people would choose the quantity over the quality, even though the quantity is unhealthy. So you bring right. up a good point. Yeah. Yes. Um, but what I will say is because I've, I've been at this for a while now. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like, now we're talking like, how many years ago was this? When I met you? Like we're talking 15 years ago now. Yeah. Oh my God. Please don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been at this a while uh, and I'm, and I'm married now. Um, my husband and I just had our engagement anniversary, 12 years. Mazalto. Wow. So, um, so I've been in it, but what I will say is like, yeah, at the beginning, when you first start to go through this process of like eliminating and this whole, um, you know, manifesting a more, uh, clean and authentic and healthy life for yourself. Yes, it, it does seem lonely. And there's that saying, it's actually in my book, um, the higher your vibe, the smaller your tribe, right? Mm. That the more, you know, the more, um, the more uh, authentic and clean and uh, healthy you want to live your life. Yeah, it's going to be harder to find people that, that do this. But the more you're at this, the longer you're at this, um, that, that ends up being who you attract. So now 15 years later, I, I wouldn't say, no, I only have two or three friends. I actually have a lot of friends, but they're, they're carefully selected and they're not all here in Toronto. I have some in Toronto, carefully selected. I have, and then I have some really all over the world because I met a lot of them in Israel and they went back to their countries of origin. Some of them are in England. Some of them are in South Africa. Many are in New York. Many right. are in Israel. Um, right, right. And it's yeah, just, thanks and for distinguishing that. Right. Yeah, and there's and there's one thing in common there that that they're that they all live their lives with this mindset of authenticity. Of being, of being, yeah, just being real and attracting realness mm-hmm. and wholesomeness into your life, and not being competition with one another, but supporting one another and being there, truly being there when your friends are in need and knowing that when you're in need, your friends are going to be there for you as well. It's, these are, they're unconditional relationships. You know, they're not based on like, what can I get from, you know, what am I getting from this? It's just like, these are, these are friends and we love them. You love them no matter what. And there's nothing that you have to get out of them. Yeah. They're just, you're just there to support each other and love each other and just be real. Yeah. Yeah, okay. and we and we have because you know, people yeah. go through stuff, and friends have you know friends have unfortunately, like I said, gone through horrible stuff. Children, you know, being sick, special needs kids, parents passing away from illness. Yeah, um, yeah. husbands passing away because 
Yeah. That happens too. And it's very hard, but we're just there for each other. Right. So let's go back. Like right after your divorce, or when did you decide to become a psychotherapist yourself? Like yeah. when did you so, realize, oh, I'm actually like good at this? <laughs> That's right. such a good question. It was, it was, it was really interesting. So when I worked with you, I was like, yeah, you were not a psychotherapist when you were working with me. No, I was living the nonprofit life. And I was like, I couldn't really, I couldn't picture myself doing anything else. I loved the work we did so much. Of course it didn't pay much, but yeah. Oh no, it didn't. (laughs) I was really like, I was really loving that time. That was such a good time for me because, um, I was in New York. So I wasn't, I wasn't here in Toronto where everybody knew me. I was kind of like, kind of synonymous you know, like I, I, I uncovered my hair. So nobody knew I was divorced unless they knew me. Yeah. I um, don't know either. I only found well, I out. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have to explain it to anyone. Um, and that was like a really good thing for me. Yeah. That must have been very to, refreshing. Yeah. Just to not have to talk about Cause when I would come back home to Toronto, everybody was like, what happened? Uh. <laughs> So then how did you decide so to then, go from nonprofit? So then, do you remember, so you remember when everybody lost their jobs? Yes. <laughs> when, like, yeah. 2008. Yeah. The, the Meta scandal had just hit. Oh, and yeah. Mm-hmm. So many, and so many departments shut down. So I was one of those people who was affected by the Madoff scandal by Bernie Madoff. And we lost our jobs. And a lot of the donors backed out. And then, um, so what, ha- what happened was I went home right before I lost my job. I went home for Pesach. I dating was completely, this was a, about a year after my divorce, I completely dating was completely not on my radar. Mm-hmm. I hadn't dated anyone. I hadn't, I, the, it was so funny. The, the rabbis in our office were all, they didn't get it. They're like, how are you 27? And you're still single. You've got everything going for you. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, let me tell you a little story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they were always trying to get me married. And I was like, not yet, not yet, not yet. Uh, so I went home for Pesach and um, my, I call him my uncle, really, he's my mom's cousin's husband, so like an older cousin, um, was just like, uh, I, I have the, the man for you. Um, and I was like, uh, well, I don't know, you know, like I live in New York and, you know, I'm not here and I haven't dated anyone. And, and he was like telling my mom, like, she, has to, she really has to meet him. And um, my mom's like, you know, it's coming from family. Like, you know, he knows this, you know, Freddie knows this guy is from the show or whatever. Um, so that was my husband. Wow. <laughs> the only, the only guy I dated uh, after, after all this. Um, so, so we went out a couple of times. It was over Pesach. I went back. It wasn't, it was not love at first sight. It was just a very healthy, gradual process. I went back to New York. We all lost our jobs. And then um, Hashkacha Pratis, however, however you want to call it. Um, I ended up with a contract, a three-month contract in Israel, working for the Jeff Seidel Foundation. And mm-hmm. that happened to have been at the same time that my husband 
had already booked his ticket to go learn in the old city, which happened to have been his yeshiva was right down the block from the office that I was in. Wow. Um, so that was our entire summer. And when the summer was over, it was time to come home and face the city and get married. <laughs> um, and my, I would say my, my, I mean, I can't really say enough good things about my husband. He's, he is the love of my life and he's an incredibly special person and also a very authentic, very real, very non-judgmental person who also does not allow any kind of toxicity into his life. Um, he's, I think Mark has really just never had patience for that. Um, he's a pretty reserved guy and he's very selective with who he socializes with. Um, but um, so when we got married, it turned into this very, I mean, we dated a while. We dated for nine months and, and then we were engaged for three. So I knew him a year by the time we got married. Um, it turned into this very healing transition. And I, I had already been doing a lot of healing for myself, but when I married my husband, it was, you know, now, um, now, now life really calmed down and settled down a lot. And, um, and now I started to think about like, well, okay, I've just been through like, seven years of roller coaster and I've learned a lot of stuff about myself and I feel like I'm just you know I'm settling down now and I'm no longer running around Israel and New York and here and there and we're now building a life together well what how am I going like how am I going to take all this and do something with it like I felt like I needed to, I needed to make sense of this by like turning this into something and Around this time, I also found I was getting all these phone calls and, and emails from people that some that I knew really well, some that I like barely knew people like they were like friends of friends asking for help um, because they were going through divorce or they had just gotten a divorce or they were in an abusive marriage or they were dating someone and they didn't know what and somehow like they just thought like, oh, you know, Anna will have the answers. And I found I was just like, I ended up helping all of these random people like left right center and and they would say to me like you're so good at this Anna like you have such a good mindset and you're so supportive you should just be a therapist and I was like well yeah the whole master's degree away I don't know and but here I was doing this without getting paid <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of energy and um and then I was like you know what um what the heck um and I became, and behold. I, yeah. became a, I got a master's degree and, um, and I'm, Hashem, I'm very successful in Thank my God. I have a very, very thriving practice. Um, and I love what I do. Um, I love my clients. Um, I work with people who also are really desiring this kind of life of authenticity and intentional living and um, finding their true self empowerment, uh, empowerment to women. I work with couples. I work with new mothers. I work with women going through infertility. Um, I work with families. And now I have my, my book, which is all about helping women become authentic and empowered and intentional. Um, and that's how it really happened. Tell us about how this book can help women live authentic and intentional lives. Okay, sure. So I also I have to so I have to say it's funny because I'm a mother of twin girls, 
Uh, they're they're nine years old and yeah they're they're very they're very cute and funny and everything and um uh, and I I had to go through a lot of infertility help to get them so Mm -hmm. that was a whole journey that my husband and I went through together as well but I feel like um so much of the way that I raise them is because I want them to embark on a life of um, empowerment as as young Jewish women who have so much potential. Um, this is like the kind of book that I kind of like wrote it for like the future <laughs> generations, like my girls and and really all girls and all daughters, you know, is because this is what I wish for them um, going forward is to is for them to know that they are deserving of being themselves and not having to pretend and make excuses and put up with people that, you know, don't appreciate them yeah. for who they yeah. are. So anyway, so the journal, the, the, uh, the empowered woman's journal. So basically it's a guided journal that I created based on the principles that I use for women in my practice for my clients, um, which are empowerment, authenticity, and intentionality. Um, and there's a whole introduction that talks a lot about, you know, the, you know these principles in depth, uh, the benefits of journaling, healing past trauma, ways to heal past trauma, how triggers come up for everybody. And we might not always realize why certain things are triggering until we become mindful of our lives and things that happen in our lives and why they might be triggering. And then, and then, then there's the journal part. So each page has an um, inspirational quote from an empowered woman, all kinds of famous women. And then there's um, questions to fill out in the morning and questions to fill out in the evening. Um, So, so you know, I know that some people might find like the idea of journaling, like just starting with a blank page. Like, whoa, like, what do I write? How am I supposed to do this? How is this supposed to help me? Right. So some people prefer it. Like some people really who are good, you know, like avid journalers, some of them prefer a blank journal and some find that a little daunting. And this journal actually provides it all for, especially like for women who are so busy, who wake up and they've got a schedule and, but they want to do this self-care, this act of self-care, um, the questions are there. And, and they basically help you to ask yourself um, and check in with yourself every morning and every evening about how you're feeling what it is you're dealing with, what it is that you want to be working through. Um, yeah, and what your goals are. What are some of the benefits of journaling and how is it different from, let's say, praying or meditating or anything else that helps a woman deal with their various issues or uh, things that they want to work on and mm-hmm. all of that? So those are all good things, actually. Praying is great. Meditation, I'm a big fan of mindfulness myself. Uh, well, all kinds of meditation. <laughs> uh, exercise is great. Therapy is great. Uh, somatic therapies are great. All, all these things are good for anxiety, stress release. Um, and, and journaling is also one. And so, and I would say, I mean, journaling is not better than any of those other things. I, as a therapist, I am an advocate for all of them. Um, but I would say what journaling does is it's, it creates a cathartic release, Mm -hmm. um, because 
you're basically like you're taking a lot of your emotional and mental energy and a lot of jumbled up thoughts that are very hard to make sense of and then you are physically putting them down on paper and Mm -hmm. what I've gotten from a lot of my clients before is they kind of explain it in that like your brain their brains are kind of like in a fog sometimes um there's like this um like this um meme or whatever like that's going around Instagram where it's like the client and the therapist and the client's bubble thoughts thought yeah 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 scribble 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 scribble, and the therapist is like tell me how you feel Uh it's like well true hard it's really hard to explain this is how my brain feels so um it's like millions of circuits yeah (laughs) like yeah that's like my brain how do I how do I explain this yeah (laughs) so um what journaling does and so and this is how my my clients and and colleagues and whoever else sort of have explained it to me it's like sometimes my brain just feels like a bunch of scribbles or I'm in a brain fog and I just I start journaling whether a guided journal or blank journal I start journaling and I start putting my thoughts on paper and then I look at it and I read it and that's when I'm able to see clearly what it is that I'm feeling and what it Mm -hmm. is that I'm going through and what it is that I want to get through and work through because now it's down on paper in front of me and I can go back and read it the next day and yeah. bring a little clarity to my life and like remind myself like oh okay this this is what I was feeling it's now in front of me I can read it and a lot of times people will also they'll hold on to their journals and they'll go back you know they'll go back at like a few weeks or a few months and see like how they were feeling a few months ago and how they're feeling now and sort of what the process had been to work through a lot of that stuff and some people choose to hold on to these journals in reference so that they can re- go back and reference and remind themselves how they healed through something. And other people actually find it very therapeutic to burn their journals. Mm-hmm. Once they're done with them. Because, <laughs> yeah. Because it gets, I actually did that <laughs> gets, last it, year in COVID when I was in quarantine. Oh, wow. And it relieved yeah. you of that. I, I was in a very, very bad space. Uh, mm-hmm. I was in quarantine for two weeks stuck at home and there was a lot going on in my life at that time a friend was sick and just there was a lot going on and I was in deep deep despair like I legit had some sort of depression and I remember I just I just took out a pen and paper and I just started writing and writing everything that was going on in my head and I was doing this for like half an hour just writing and writing and writing. And then at the end, I literally looked at it. I crumpled it up and I shredded it to pieces and I threw it out and I just felt so much better. But then, you know, there are moments when I would like to, like, there's so much going on in my head, you know, for the busy woman or even the woman who's not so busy and is trying to figure out what to do with their lives. I feel like journaling is beneficial for both someone who is very, very busy and for someone who is not so busy and wants to know what to make out of their life. I I find that it's extremely therapeutic, sometimes even more than speaking, because like when I'm reading a book, for example, you know how I remember what I'm reading by writing in my book. 
by highlighting my book, by taking notes next to my book. And to my husband's dismay, he'll like pick up a book and be like, Carrie, did you write in this book again? I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. But I just feel like there is, there really is, is a value in writing things down and having it laid out in front of you as opposed to just blurting it out. And then, I don't know, there's nowhere to put your words. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I definitely hear the benefits of having a journal and I'm looking forward to getting my copy. That, it, it is on the way. <laughs> I am very, very excited for it. I, I also think it's just nowadays our attention spans are even shorter than five years ago. And we can't, we can't stay focused for more than a minute, you know? just our culture. And I think journaling really helps us meditate in a way and realize what's important in our lives. So I think, you know, in the beginning of this interview, you were talking about women who want to be empowered, um, whether it's by having self-esteem or, you know, staying away from people who aren't healthy for them and attracting good people into their lives and all of that. But I also think it's for women who don't even know that they're in this, they're in this cycle. You know, like you were talking about uh, people who were controlling you in the beginning of this interview. And, you know, you were talking about a certain type of personality. Like, I, I would say it's like the popular extroverted uh stereotype I don't know is that what you're talking about um it's like a certain type it's, it's, it's a yeah, certain type I mean, of person yeah I was very into like this leader type and and the funny thing is in high school a lot of these girls were you know this leader kind of type and now so many years later uh, a lot of them are really lost or like they're just a lot of them actually I find are struggling with relationships themselves like you know most of them are, are married I, I don't know what kind of marriages they have but um but uh I I find that those kind of girls they're actually not such leaders anymore because I think as adults a lot of people are not so drawn to that kind of um yeah, just, that's tight. I think real leaders are the ones that don't have to try too hard at it. I think real leaders are the ones who are actually authentic and the ones who are kind of like the um, just people who other people really like to be around. Yeah, you know, love that. Feel good. Yeah, feel good being around like that. That kind of that kind of vibe. I, I'm thinking about like this one family that my husband and I have been close with for a very long time and uh, like this rabbi and Robinson and their kids and like they're just the most normal down-to-earth people and they they're a Kirov family and and you know they were never into like the big programs and the big chapatons and that, like they did a little bit of that but mainly they 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 just became such popular um, and well-respected leaders because they opened their arms and their homes up to so many young people who were who were searching right um, and you know she used to do Kirov in her kitchen with you know just young girls and young women in her kitchen who were just 
eager to learn. And she would just be like, well, you know, I, I can't, I can't, I can't sit and learn with you today, but you, you can come and, and help me with the kids and, and, you know, and, and, and the, the cooking and the dinner and whatever. And people would just come and hang out and wash her dishes and listen to her words of wisdom. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that those, those are true leaders. They're very, very well loved. I would say very well loved family. Um, just for that reason, mm-hmm. I think those are who become true leaders. Yeah, I mean, I think our society is also obsessed with extroverts, that only people who are very, very extroverted and social and loud and look at me, I'm the life of the party, you know, those people are usually seen as the quote unquote leader type. But I think what you're saying is that there is the power of the introvert and the introvert has a lot of hidden potential Mm. that isn't necessarily seen or applauded by the general public, but they do have that power. They do have that leadership skill that other people, yeah. And I think like, that's what what I got from this as well. Right. There is a power. Like I would say, yes. Like I would say to give an example, just like for your point. So one thing that's happened in my career is I would say like in the last five years, five, six years, more probably, I don't know. Six, yeah, it doesn't matter. Five, yeah. <laughs> is that, you know, I whatever, just because people read what I wrote or um, came to speak to me or whatever, uh, I get asked, you know, on occasion to, go and give a lecture, which I, I very much enjoy doing, you know, especially on certain topics or sometimes they'll give me the topic or they'll, they'll ask me to choose a topic that I like to speak about. And I'll go and speak, you know, to a shul group or, or at Asia Torah, like a, a lot of times these singles events, they'll ask me to be the speaker to talk about, you know, relationships and dating and, you know, working on yourself and things like that. And, um, and I've just found that like, there are just other, other women that, you know, that I come across in the community who are just like, but well, how, how did you, how did you get that? Like, why, why didn't they ask me? Like, I, I asked them if I could, I could give a talk and I really wanted to. And like, some of them are, you know, aspiring therapists or they're coaches or, they're, or whatever. Like they, they want to be, you know, in that kind of position too. And, and just like, you know, they, they just, they ask, they ask me and I just go and do it. And like, it's something I enjoy doing. It's not something that I spend much time um, chasing after because I'm pretty busy working (laughs) and taking care of my family. But it's like, if you're, if you're chasing for that kind of attention, then how how much like what kind of vibe are you giving off like yeah. I want to talk I want to talk I want to talk to a bunch of people like are the people that are running the programs like how does that make them feel right. when you're right. coming and begging them for attention to go and to go and be a speaker whereas like somebody who you just read her article or you just like want to talk to her and she's like oh she's cool she's relatable like yeah why doesn't she talk to you know this group like that that is a lot easier to work with then, and I think it's probably seems a little bit more appealing than somebody who's just like chasing yeah. it. And they're, right. and they're jealous when somebody else gets it. And it's like, no, you know what? It's nothing to be jealous of. We all have our um, yeah. our gifts and we all have our tough kid and we all have our roles and our things that we're meant to be doing in life. And if 
you know, you find that you're good at something, go for it. And you find that you're not good at something else. Well, that's okay. <laughs> you know, like that's okay. Love you're it. good at something else. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Love just, it. Yeah. Be just be a real person. And yeah, that's how things will work out best for you. Wonderful. Anna, can you um, give one last message to the listeners right now? Something you want to tell the listener? Sure. Um, so I would say this is like, this is a message that goes for people, anyone really, anyone who is um, trying to figure out their path in life, trying to find their soulmate, trying to find their career path, trying to work through um, their own relationship challenges, people who are struggling to have a family and to have children. Um, I would say that like, it's really, really important to know your worth. The empowered individual knows their worth. They know their value. Um, and no matter what you have been with, been, sorry, been through in your life or what you're struggling with in your life, um, you're, you are deserving. You're deserving of, um, you're deserving of love and you're deserving of acceptance and you're deserving of being yourself and being your authentic self. And if somebody in your life is criticizing you for the person that you are, um, or the family that you come from, or, um, the, or the way that you look or the way you choose to dress. And if somebody's telling you be a different way or, um, act a certain or act a different way or tone it down or speak up more or, you know, change the way this or, or get rid of this. Um, maybe you should, um, think again about who these people are that are telling you, uh, how to be and how to live and how to act and what kind of person you should be because, um, they're not truly appreciating, um, the person that you actually are and life um, life can't truly be enjoyed if you're constantly faking it. Um, you know, the way to, in my opinion, the way to do life right is, is to do it with realness and authenticity. And that's where you're really going to find true happiness is when you are true to yourself. Love it. Love it. So enjoy Anna. my journal, everybody. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Anna, where can people find you? Um, well, thank you for having me, Karen. Um, so you can find me um, on my Instagram, Anna Sherman Psychotherapist. Um, so Anna underscore Sherman underscore Psychotherapist. Um, I also have a website, www.annashermanrp.com. Um, and... Yeah, if you if you want to reach out, um, just send me a DM on Instagram, and I will do my best to get back to you. Actually, my journal is available on Amazon, both in oh, the yes. US. And, yeah, both in the US and in Canada. Um, yeah, just whatever country you're in, make sure you ship. <laughs> make sure you order through the correct, through correct Amazon. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Anna. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with others 
other people who you think will benefit from this episode. If you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at coach.kk. Let's connect.